right, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I am Abby Mickey. Before we dive into the episode, this episode of Freewheeling is brought to you by Full Gas. Looking for an indoor riding challenge? Well, on the virtual ride platform, Full Gas, you can ride from Land's End to John O'Groats. Groats. That's 603 miles, 970 kilometers end-to-end of the UK, plus a number of the stages throughout the ride are hosted virtually by legendary cycling commentator Phil Liggett. Kicking off March 1st and going through March 27th, go for prizes and enjoy the 22-stage journey. Register at lejog2020.fullgas.com. That's L-E-J-O-G 2020.fulgaz.com. Use the code 21CTLEJOG for 10% off. That's 21CTLEJOG for 10% off. And thank you so much to Full Gas for supporting this episode. And the moment that you've all been waiting for has finally come. Lauren Rowney is here. Lauren. (laughs) I highly doubt that, but that means that we're going to start talking about racing again. So it's true. That's exciting. And it was like a year ago that I pretty much joined you on the podcast again after our three year hiatus. Um, so, yeah, one week until racing um, as we record this. Happy anniversary. Yeah, happy anniversary to you too. Taken back to 2017 when we started the old <laughs> podcast, we were like pretty much the first women's specific racing cycling podcast. We were, at least I'm pretty sure we were the first, the first one that I know of that was just dedicated to racing. Exactly. Go you for doing it for how many years now? Oh, too many. I'll tell you what, but based on the fan base, you're doing a really good job. Abby, I just want to say that. So (laughs) I'm excited to be talking about women's racing again. Um, and Het News Blood, which is coming up next week, was one of my favorite races. I only ever had one good race there. But um, it's certainly um, a, an exciting weekend, the opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. Lauren is back because we are back to racing. We've got some races coming up. Obviously, we were supposed to have some races earlier in the year. We've talked uh, at nauseum about the Australian races being canceled and what that has done to the calendar. But now we are looking at real racing, cross all fingers. We had the Spanish races canceled as well. So going into opening weekend, Omloop had new splat. We really don't know too much about the women's peloton and how people are going which I guess is going to make it a fascinating race well it does appear from what I've seen on social media a lot of the big teams have been on multiple camps so typically teams would have maybe a camp in December to sort of get everyone together it's more of a casual camp um, to sort of get to know one another and have a little bit of fun and then the serious training camps kick off in January We've seen with Bowles Dolmans and Trek Segafredo, they've had back-to-back camps. So, I mean, when you're on those camps with all your teammates, you do get in really, really good training. Um, and it's a great opportunity when uh, you've got new teammates coming on board to, to get used to being around them and figuring out their characters. And, you know, when you've raced people for years, you, you know their racing style, but then it's it's obviously different when you come together on a team. So... There would have been lots of team building and um, quite jealous to 
to be honest, of all the people down in southern Spain in shorts and T-shirts. But um, <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, the opening weekend's always an interesting one, but already we can sort of throw out there a few names of, of the favourites for, for a race like Het Newsblad. Yeah, what, what you said about camps is really interesting because there was supposed to be, you know, Valencia and a couple races in Spain early season. Uh, Annemiek van Vluten had said when I chatted with her that that was supposed to be her opening opener to the season. And there's been multiple camps for Canyon Stram. They basically had back-to-back camps, same with Trek Segafredo and FDJ Nivella Aquitaine Futuroscope. So a bunch of a bunch of teams going to camps, uh, which, like you said, is really great as far as team bonding and is also really great for fitness because you kind of have to keep up with everybody. So mm-hmm. there's some a little bit of race simulation that goes on just because uh, cyclists are athletes and naturally competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they've been bottling up for a few months now. So, yeah, I always really enjoyed the team camp um, side of things. And it's, like, still a little bit relaxed. But now um, this last sort of camp, people would be really serious and starting to think about, you know, what the season's going to look like. And um I'm really curious to see how Saturday next week unfolds because there were quite a few transfers last year, some really exciting ones. And the yeah diversity of talent within the teams this season, I think, is probably the best it's ever been. We have so many strong teams. Um, and as we were talking before, you mentioned that in, in terms of nationalities, um, you know, there's quite a mix. Those typically really Dutch, um, not orientated, but more dominant teams have mixed it up a little bit. Um, and for me, the biggest thing was team bike exchange. Yeah, a bunch of these teams that have, like, for example, Movistar traditionally has been a very, very Spanish team. FDJ, Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope has been a very French team. Bike exchange has always been vast Aussie. majority Australian <laughs> exactly it's like Australian plus Anamique <laughs> yeah and uh and so we're seeing this really really international shift within the rosters of these teams um especially yeah bike exchange uh Movistar and FDJ are the most international rosters that they've ever had and bike exchange in particular has just an incredibly interesting roster given that they've lost Anamik. Anamik has gone to Movistar making kind of this this huge opening in Mitchelton bike M- Mitchelton bike exchange. It's going to take a second to like not yeah. call them. Yeah. <laughs> uh making this huge gap in bike exchange that we saw at the end of last year when Anamik was injured and and was still racing but was not uh, at the very very top of her form that Grace Brown and Sarah Roy, who is the Australian national champion, which was awesome. They they've kind of filled this this void a little bit that Anamika has left. And I think going into the season, Bike Exchange has a lot of a lot of girls that can try to fill that void. And it's going to be really interesting to see how their dynamic shifts from being a team that is pretty much solely focused on Anamika as she can you know, perform at almost every single race to being a team that is focused on, you know, maybe being a little bit more wild and wacky. I I hope that they're, 
their race tactics change based on the fact that they have more options now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it opens up doors, and I think you see Sarah Roy will definitely, at, at the end of last year, stepping into a more of a leadership role. Grace Brown is a huge talent, and um, she's going to do really well this year, I'm sure of it. You've got Lucy Kennedy. You've got Tennille Campbell that's just coming on board, and we saw at the beginning of last year before the pandemic hit that um, she has some quite – she's got a lot of speed on her. So curious to see how they develop her and – whether they actually invest a little bit more in a lead-out train, um, if that's something they'll work on. They've brought in a few extra climbers. Um, I think it's, is it Anne Sebastian mm -hmm. from Spain? So, um, yeah, as you know, Abby, being a, a former professional racer, when teams get mixed up a bit, it takes a little while to get a feel of how you race together. And one of the strengths of um, you know, Trek Segafredo, and we'll always go back to them, is they really ride as a unit. And it's like this other instinct where they just know where each other are during certain critical times in a race. And that's really important in cycling is to be confident around your teammates and have this trust and just to know how they ride. Yeah, there's going to be this interesting dynamic in the Peloton this year where we have teams like the three that we just mentioned who have a good amount of oncoming talent. I mean, I guess FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope only added one rider, but there's there's going to be this really interesting dynamic between the teams that have basically stayed exactly the same and have really shifted their roster. Um, but bike exchange still has a good number of riders that have been on the team for a while. So that's going to be a fascinating thing to kind of watch develop over the beginning of the season. And then we'll see things kind of shake up as we get into the season. Speaking of Trek Segafredo, one of the transfers that I'm really, really excited to see how it plays out is Amelie Diedrichsen. We're not really sure how she's going to actually, I think I was talking to Taylor Wiles, and I believe her name is pronounced Amelia, which been saying it wrong forever. <laughs> ah, well, in the way her name's spelt in French, it's Amelie. Yeah. So maybe that's why. Let's use that as an excuse. We can um, use it. As, yeah, the, those Danish <laughs> names, man. <laughs> Still, Amelie, Amelia, both beautiful names. But now, from now on, I'm going to try my best not to mispronounce a name because I know how that feels. Even worse <laughs> is when people write to you and they can see that your name is spelled L-O-R-E-N, yet they say, hey, Lauren. Mm. Mm. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, I'm actually very excited to see how Chloe Hosking goes on this team because um, having been a teammate with her and followed her her career quite closely she's a huge talent Chloe and you know when you put her on the right team that girl can do incredible things and under the leadership of Ina I feel like we're gonna see her winning a lot of races again this year yeah between Amelie Derrickson uh, Amelia I can't just <laughs> between <laughs> between Amelia Derrickson and uh and Chloe Hosking Trek has really added some sprinting power to their roster mm -hmm. and that's gonna be super fascinating because obviously we saw last year that their climbing talent is you know the best unparalleled um with the Lizzie Dagnan uh, uh Longo Borghini duo so They've just kind of added more speed to their roster. 
I think they've got all bases covered, as you say, Mm -hmm. in baseball. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was really what they were lacking last year was sprinters. And uh, it worked out fine for them because basically not a single race came down to a bunch of sprint. So yeah. Yeah. If the season goes ahead as planned, which we'll get into in a minute, then they're, they'll be able to use their sprinters, but it really didn't hurt them last year. Cause the only race that really, there was only two races that finished in a sprint. It wasn't even a bunch sprint. It was like a small group sprint because of crosswinds at the very, very, very end of the year. And by then they'd had so much success that it was kind of like, nah, We'll give it to Bulls Dolmans. I mean, obviously, yeah. they didn't give it to Bulls Dolmans. Bulls Dolmans earned it, but yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you compare the two, while while we're at it, Bulls Dolmans, you think they're a very well-rounded squad, and you you go into a race like Het Newsblad. Um, if Yolinda Hora is there at the end, of course, she can really finish it off. She's one of the world's best sprinters. And you know, not taking anything away from Lizzie Diagnan because she has won. Um, bunch sprints but you know if she's been out there all day trying to make moves happen her kick at the end is not going to be quite the same as someone who's like Yolin who's maybe been spared a bit for the end so mm-hmm. it's going to be very very exciting um, I'm looking forward to it based on what I can see and we always go back to the weather it's going to be warm <laughs> it's going to be a warm hit news blood so um very, very, very excited about next weekend. I've done it when it was when it was cold and rainy, and it was horrendous. Cold and rainy. <laughs> yeah, two degrees and rain in Belgium is is not a fun day out. No. But, uh, yeah, it's a rude can... awakening to the season when it's like freezing cold and raining, and you have to wear bibs. Not... I mean, if the race goes well for you, you you tend to not to remember. Have... Exactly. It's but true. when it goes really bad and it's your first spring classic, um, you you still have nightmares over it years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, yeah, speaking of Bulls Domins, SD Works, which was Bulls Domins, that's going to be, uh, they're basically the same team. They've added some new names that are going to be really interesting. Elena Cicchini and Ashley Moulman Passio being probably the the two biggest names that they've added to the roster. They also have the young Neve Fisher Black from uh, moving over from Big La Polyka, whatever the heck that situation was. So <laughs> she'll she's not going to be one to watch for Omni Pet Newsblad. But as far as the season in general, SC Works is, you know, they've also got Demi Vollering. Speaking of Omni Pet Newsblad, Demi Vollering. I mean, she's not a pure sprinter really, but if, if it gets kind of whittled down a little bit and she's allowed to move into those breaks and stuff, I think that her being on SD works and having somebody like, you know, Chantal black to learn from Chantal Vandenbroek black to learn from is going to be huge for her career. And you mentioned earlier about having team, having raced against people and then becoming their teammates and being able to kind of learn your mistakes through your teammates the conversation I had with Ashley Mullen Passio a couple episodes ago when she talked about how Anna Vanderbregen was her roommate at team camp and got to, they got to sit down and Anna was like, okay, so this is what you were doing wrong. If you'd done X, Y, Z, you would have beat me is, is a really interesting take because now they're teammates. Anna, this is her final year of racing. She's going to go into a director role next year and for SG, SD works, which is awesome. I think, 
there are many women who retire and leave the sport. And if we had more of those retired women or even men who were directing women's teams, uh, we would maybe not have some of the team situations that, that we have that we don't have to mm. get into. But people people maybe can, if we like wink, maybe people know what we're talking about. <laughs> and, and I'll just add that actually having people who have raced bikes before mm-hmm. and know what they're talking about coming from personal experience, it makes a hell of a difference and the respect from the riders themselves and the trust is so much greater. I mean, you don't have to be a world champion and that doesn't mean that you're going to make a great director. Mm-hmm. But exactly. at least when I've seen with the development of, of Ina, and we'll always go back to her, she, she's a brilliant, brilliant DS, Rachel Hill as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm, it's very encouraging to see someone like Anna stay in the sport. I always thought maybe she would be someone who would, you know, move on and, and do something else with her life, her life. But, um, I think even Lizzie Dignan a couple of years ago alluded to the fact that before she thought she would step away and be done with cycling, but now maybe she's going to try and stay in the sport at some capacity. So we need to keep that wealth of knowledge within the sport and, um, I think it's just a very positive thing. And yeah, seeing Anna Vanderbregen as a, as a DS will be quite a thing to see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it's not the best riders that make the best DS because when you win a ton and you see things only from, you know, this one perspective, obviously you can't, well, I would say obviously you can't win everything, but we do tend to have these women who have runs where they they win everything. And mm-hmm. when you lose a lot, that's when you learn a lot. So I kind of feel like the women who don't win very often are the ones who make really good DSs because they've, you know, made every mistake. So they know. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. I think Ina did win a lot of races, but uh, I think she did lose a lot too. And she was in the sport a hell of a long time. She She's kind of the exception that defines the rule because she was around so long that like, she saw everything. <laughs> but I also think stepping straight into a director's role out of your career is not necessarily the best move always. Um, it might be different for some writers, but I know from my experience, um, time away from the sport definitely helps. Um, but we do see with a lot of the men, actually, that they step straight into roles within teams as they retire. I don't know if that's just because they don't want to let go or is a fear of the unknown because we've spoken about this before. This, this world that we live in is this bubble and it's sometimes a scary thought to leave it. I mean, you've got people like Adam Hansen who has got a million other things going on. So for him, cycling is just a very small part of his life. But for most people, if you're in the sport for 15 years, it's everything. Um, and it could be frightening. So that's a whole nother kettle of fish. I wonder if because she announced two years before retirement, if that gave her kind of this two-year cushion to tie up any loose ends, which she very much had did last year by winning a bunch of races that she hadn't won and kind of winning stuff mm. she had won and 
her dominant streak last year, if having having that kind of light at the end of the tunnel is making it easier for her to retire and step directly into a DS role, mm-hmm. I guess she also is like her mindset in general to be as good as she is and be as dominant as she is and still remain as down to earth as she is kind of lends to the fact that she might just be one of those really really special people who can just dive right into the director role and not really have it yeah be because she ticked all the boxes yeah (laughs) for sure yeah well this this year is a great opportunity like she's giving advice to ashley moorman who who's been in the sport a long time Mm -hmm. um and is actually older than her and Ashley will be coming towards the end of her career too. So um, I really like Ashley as a person and I hope that she learns a lot from being on this team because I feel like the teams that she was on, she was quite often just a sole leader um, previously and she didn't have anyone to really learn from. And she does make a lot of mistakes. She's very, very physically capable, but I think mentally – that's where it sometimes, um, yeah, tactically, it just doesn't go to plan. She's definitely going to have a very, very different role on SC Works than she's ever had in her career, which she's made all of those mistakes, like we were saying, you know, learned from those mistakes. And now she'll be able to have someone like Anna Vanderbregen looking over her shoulder and helping her. And I I really can't wait to see how Ashley Moomin Passio goes this year. I think it's going to be, I mean, if not this year, then next year, because she's on a two-year contract with them and then she's done. So it's kind of a little bit of the same situation as Anna Vanderbregen, but but very, very much untapped potential with Ashley. Mm-hmm. As far as Canyon Shram's roster, it's basically the same. They've obviously added Chloe Digart, although we're not sure how her recovery is going or if she's going to be racing. Um, they've added Elise Shabby and Michaela Harvey, which is going to be really exciting to see those two because they both had pretty impressive results last year. And having them kind of step it up onto this bigger team with some riders who are really, really capable is going to be cool i feel like canyon shram so when they came yeah when it changed from velocia shram to canyon shram in 2016 it was like this big wow bam impressive roster um i think they they started winning a lot of races and it was a great opportunity for riders like alexis ryan to really step up and she did great things in that those first couple of years and then they brought on cassia and she then really started to shine but for me they're they're not really a standout team Cassia is is a fantastic athlete and I still think it's a good place for her but when we talk in terms of like the firepower of someone like Bowles Dolmans or Trek Segafredo I just don't see it there it's um and I think they've also said that they want to develop riders um, and they're doing a really good job of that. So they got some young riders on there, and it's it's always a good opportunity to be on a team where there are so many options that you do perhaps get a chance. Like for Michaela Harvey, it, it's a fantastic place to be. And then of course you've got the the Zwift Academy winners, Neve mm-hmm. um, Bradbury. So how great for her she's signed her first world tour contract with canyon shram and um you know she's racing with some of the best riders in the world but 
they'll always be around the mark, but um, they're not the standout team for me anymore. I, I wish that they had the ability to kind of delegate more riders to go for it because we saw last year at the Giro Rosa when Hannah Barnes was allowed to go for the sprints, she was up there. Um, but if she had more opportunities to do that, then she would have been more of a competitive factor in those sprints. But going into this year, having proved that she could compete, I hope that, you know, riders like Hannah Barnes and her sister Alice and, you know, the new riders on the team get more opportunities because I think something that Canyon Stram does a little bit is really, really focuses on Kasha and Mm -hmm. doesn't let their other riders have a ton of opportunities, which that's just, you know, my perspective watching. I don't know if that's actually how it works internally, but I feel like that's just the history of the whole team. Yeah. If we go back through all all of its evolutions, we've still got the same management running things there. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go into it too much more, but <laughs> <laughs> um favoritism is de- definitely a thing and I think sometimes when people get certain ideas of certain writers, they put them in a box and then that's it. It's left which is not good for the team, the rider, anything. No. So let's let's hope that Hannah spreads her wings again this year because she's really ta- talented and her younger sister. And also Alexis Riley, mm-hmm. a really, really great person, and I'd like to see her do big things again. Yes, a running theme when Lauren and I talk about bike racing is we really like awesome people who are awesome bike riders. <laughs> Well, I don't care if if you're an amazing athlete and you're an asshole and you don't have anything worthwhile saying. Like these people are genuinely intelligent, thoughtful, smart human beings with, yeah. We honestly don't care if they're even good bike racers. If they're awesome people, we love them. And if they're good bike riders at the same time and we get to talk about them because technically that's what our podcast is about, then sweet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why we focus on certain teams so much too. Like, that's true. Let's talk about how Trek has upped the minimum wage Yeah. Um, to the same as the men. That got me so excited. Yep. Um, and even thought to myself, I wish that I was still in cycling and at this point in time because I think it's so exciting for these young riders that, you know, you're entering the sport and – you know, maybe you've decided to put your university degree on hold and you're going to pursue this dream and you can know that you're going to earn a decent amount of money while you're doing it and you're not going to reach 30 and not have your, we call it superannuation in Australia or those sorts of things that you start to worry about once you get over 30. Um, yeah, I just, I was very, very pleased and it's just another reason to really respect um, Trek, and I really hope for these other big teams, particularly the ones that are associated with men's teams, to do the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we see change, right, is it just takes a movement of people or a big team like Trek to set the example, and, yeah, there's no reason why Bike Exchange can't do the same. Yeah, they're setting the bar yeah. of what a professional team should be, and – that's only going to elevate the sport more because team other teams are going to be motivated to want to reach that level. They're going to 
need to reach that level if they want to compete with Trek Segafredo, which is already a dominant team we saw last year. And this is no different from what Bulls Dolmans did, you know, X amount of years ago. They also elevated the sport by becoming so dominant and, and paying their riders what they were paying their riders at the time. They elevated the entire sport by just setting the example within themselves. And that's what Trek Segafredo is doing now. They're elevating the entire sport by setting the example of what a team should be. And there's always going to be those those teams that can't afford to pay their riders that are going to grumble and complain about how, you know, they're pushing it they're pushing it too fast. They're they're growing too fast, but this is years and years in the making now. This isn't too fast. This is what should have been happening five, six, ten years ago and has just taken way, way too long to happen. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I personally, like, obviously I'm biased, but I can't see anything negative at all about Trek Segafredo setting this minimum wage for their riders. And I hope that teams can grow along with them. And, and I hope that other teams are looking at the example that they're setting and are saying, okay, well, if we want to beat Trek Segafredo, we also need to make it possible for our riders to not have to work a second job. We need to make it possible for our riders to afford any kind of, you know, physical therapy that they need, because a lot of teams like don't pay their riders for all the extra stuff, the massages while they're at home, all of the nutrition on the bike, all the nutrition off the bike, all of the stuff that makes you, that elevates you from being pack water to Mm -hmm. in the top 20 to in the top 10 to winning races. There's so much money you have to pour into that in order to be able to be that good. And Mm -hmm. if you're making $15,000 a year, you aren't able to pay for massages while you're at home. You aren't able to feed yourself the way that these top riders are doing so. So there's, there's so much that's going to come from that. Later on in the episode, I talk with uh, Stefan Delcourt, who is the general manager for FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope, the longest name, but I feel like because all those sponsors are paying to be on the jersey, we should probably say the full name. I'm a full. And you I'm said a, it right. I'm Very a firm good. believer in like, you know, if a team is named thusly, that you shouldn't abbreviate. So I talk with Stefan about um, how he he really wants to be able to pay his riders enough that they can afford to buy a house, that they that they can afford to, you know, make investments into their future more than mm-hmm. just pay them the base salary that they need to survive which is what most teams do and is what the minimum wage is for women at the moment per UCI regulations. It's, it's like a base number that you, you, you need to feed yourself and barely pay rent. And, and I mean, and when the UCI went and did that, we looked at that and went, wow, that's a big step up. But when you compare it to a 25, 30 year old, who's just working a normal job, and then you look at it, then you go, whoa, there, there's a big difference here. How is this person, yeah, how are they going to afford to buy a house? And mm-hmm. how are they going to do this? And then you think about women start thinking about children perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then wondering, God, am I going to be able to provide um, when I decide to stop or have a child while racing? 
go Lizzie Dykeman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just comes down to the whole equality thing. And one thing that just pissed me off when I was a pro and joined a joint team with a men's team was just, it was just blatantly there in your face that this is what your worth was and what their worth was. So you saw the amount of the, the brand new team buses um the brand new bikes whereas you got hand hand me downs i don't think this happens anymore um you knew how much the men were earning because it's publicized what the minimum was and then you knew how much you were earning um and it was just like a big slap in the face and it was like well we're wearing the same jersey why are you treating us differently um when we're winning just as many races as you. So, and it doesn't always have to go back to broadcasting, I think, this issue. It's like if a team really cares and the sponsors behind the team really believe in the women's team, then they should be doing what Trek's doing and saying, right, we do believe in this. We're going to make sure that everyone has at least minimum. Um, and then there's a goal to work from there to, to earn higher. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Live racing. We're just running through teams at this point, but I do want to mention live racing because I want to mention Lotto Kopecky, who I am so excited to see race with a different team this year. Lotto Sudal is a great team, and but her moving up into the world tour is really, really exciting. And what we saw from her at the end of last year I hope that she is going to carry that over, and I think she will because, man, she was a force at the end of last year. It was really, really exciting to watch her race. I feel like 2020 was like her coming out year is like, here I am. I'm I'm here now on the world stage. Like she'd always done um, – she'd had some really great results before that, but I just feel like she really – yeah, you know how we talk about we always talk about those breakout riders in a year, and mm-hmm. she definitely was one of those. Particularly her stage win at at the Giro, um, her podium place at Tour of Flanders. So I think it's a good move for her. She'd been on Lotto quite a long time, and she didn't have the support around her she needed. So um, stepping onto this team, and it's a big step up for her. Something just clicked for her last year. Like it just, something just like slid into place. Yeah. It often just, that just happens. Think Mm -hmm. about Corinne Rivera in 2017. Yeah, exactly. Forced to be reckoned with. So stepping onto a new team, um, it's always interesting. We do, we have discussed this before. It can go one of two ways, but I think she'll just continue to grow from here and she will line up on the start line with the confidence of what she did last year which is the most important thing as an athlete is to just have that belief that you know you belong there and she she can finish it off at the end. She'll be absolutely a writer to watch for Omloop, head news pod. Mm -hmm. And I mean the Worlds. The Worlds are here in Belgium this year. So it's very exciting. It's Jolene de Hora's last year. Um, So for her to have a really – good world championships in her home country in the year that she's retired would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Should we talk a little bit about the calendar? I mean, we, we brought it, we touched on it a tiny bit at the beginning, but looking at the world tour calendar, we've already had like 
a ton of movement within the World Sewer calendar that we don't want to see, but is inevitable in this day and age. Rhonda Van Drenta is quote unquote canceled, but postponed to October. They've asked for an October date. It has not been confirmed yet. Same with the women's tour, um, which is one of the bigger stage races in June, has also shifted into October. Ride London is canceled. Uh, The Spanish races in the Basque country also canceled question mark. They maybe are postponed. A lot of these races are postponed without having set a new date. And from what we can, you know, cross all of our fingers and toes and hope is going to happen is that the world tour will start on March 6th with Strada Bianchi. Mm-hmm. Same as last year. First, well, I guess no. Last year we actually did have Cadells, <laughs> yeah. but it felt like a d- decade before, so it didn't. Once we got to Strada, it was like, wait, what is bike racing? Yeah. So from what I can see on the calendar, we still have a bunch of races between now and basically that break after Liège, bust on Liège, um, all the way at the end of April. So I think it's really only Drenta that's. And uh, the women's tour always comes later. But between now and, say, end of April, which is that really important period for qualifying for the Olympic Games, we'll just put it out there, um, we've got nine races to look forward to, from Strada to Trofia Alfredo Binda, which is a fantastic race and obviously didn't get run last year. Uh, then we go on to Bruges de Pana, Ghent Wolverham, Tour of Flanders, and then drumroll – Paris-Roubaix, 11th of the 4th. Which is going to have four hours of live coverage. Four hours. Let that soak in. There will be four hours of live coverage of the women's Paris-Roubaix. That's pretty much the entire race start to finish. That is not something we see very often with a women's race. They usually show, you know, the last 30 kilometers or the last one hour of the race. They don't have the women's race on for four hours. And the thing about women's racing that is, you know, different from men's racing, the dynamics are different. We talk about this all the time, but it is exciting start to finish most of the time. Obviously, you know, there are still those lulls, but to see four hours of the women's Paris-Roubaix, I mean... Come on. I mean, it's brilliant because we're going to actually, it's the first edition. We're going to see the whole race, um, which is just something so special. It's an iconic race for the men. And um, we've seen a few of the teams over the past months doing recon. So they're all really serious about this one. I mean, to win the first Paris-Roubaix would just be, yeah. I, I mean, to line up at that race would have been a dream. So I'm hoping I can ride my bike from here to Roubaix and have a little sneak peek in <laughs> April. But, um, yeah, so it looks like all the racing in Belgium will run as planned as the end of October last year. No crowds. Um, they'll encourage people to stay home, which I think people respect. We are still in a semi-lockdown in here Belg- in Belgium till at least the 1st of April. Um I mean, you might get a few of the recreational cyclists out on the roads with their bikes. You can't really stop that. But for the most part, I can't not see the races going ahead. I know that's – I can't say that, but it's just my general feeling. They seem to have raced um, the cross races without too many problems. I know it's closed circuit, but um, 
I think we're going to have a, a, a good start to the year. Yeah. Speaking of closed circuit, that is something that the Amstel Gold Race might modify their course to be a closed circuit. Um, Things in the Netherlands are a little bit different than Belgium in terms of what is allowed and what's not allowed. So they've said that if the pandemic infringes on their ability to host a race, they're going to close an 18 kilometer circuit and still have Amstel Gold Race, which didn't happen last year and is an awesome race. So hopefully that goes forward. Something that's interesting about the calendar and the races that have been postponed or canceled and the races that haven't is the races that are going ahead or that seem to be going ahead are the races that have men's races attached or some of them, most of them have men's races attached. Strada Bianchi, Perry Roubaix, Amso Gold, the Ardennes, all of the Ardennes, um, mm. Tour of Flanders. In an interview with Flow Bikes, Mariana Voss said that she is excited about Perry Roubaix, but she's she doesn't fully back the hype around Perry Roubaix because there's a lot of women's races that are exciting, that are standalone women's races. And in a normal year, I would agree with her, but it seems like in a pandemic year, obviously women's racing doesn't have as much money as men's racing which means that the mm. women's races who don't have a ton of money are struggling to stay afloat. Whereas the women's races who are connected to men's races that already have enough money to run a race, there are the races that are sticking around a little bit. Now, this is an interesting thing. Also a huge bummer because we love those standalone women's races. Like Rhonda Van Drenta has been on the calendar for God knows how long. I think that they were just like, they looked at the situation back in October, whenever it was, and, you know, things were starting to get bad again back up north with our COVID mm-hmm. numbers and just thought, look. They're just trying to get ahead of the ball, yeah. Yeah, I no. think that's the case because they do have a men's race, but it's not, you know, the women's race is the highlight that weekend. Yeah. Um, I remember being there and one of my friends was racing the men's race and I was like, what, you're racing here? <laughs> I'm thinking, um, yeah, I'm thinking in terms of like the, the new women's the, race in Spain and yeah, exactly the women's tour and stuff like that, that that's struggling that we really but just... I- no, you're definitely on to something there because we were discussing the Healthy Aging Tour, which I thought, huh, if Drenta doesn't go ahead, um, maybe this won't go ahead. But actually the Healthy Aging Tour is alongside the Olympia Tour for the men. Um, so as far as we know, that's still going ahead on the 9th of the 3rd till the 12th of the 3rd. Um, the Women's Tour, I think, because, what again, what's happening in the UK, it's not that good. Um, they really want to put on a good show because there's going to be coverage this year. So they want people on the streets to be able to enjoy it. And so maybe at least from the organizer's point of view, they're thinking if we wait until, you know, the end of the year um, when there's a bit of a gap in the calendar, we'll have people again on the streets and make this the event it deserves to be because, as great as it is to watch the racing, it's, yeah, I mean, particularly for women's racing, that event, everyone comes out for it. Um, it's a really special week of of racing. Like, you just don't see crowds like that at the Giro Rosa um, like you do in, in England. So I'm kind of happy about it in a way because if they can run a normal race, which I'm crossing my fingers – I prefer that than them running some race without crowds. Yeah. 
But again, we don't know what, what October or September or what next year is going to look like. We can only speculate so much. But And Abby and I really want to be there at that race. Yes, so. we do. <laughs> and we're not allowed to leave. Well, I'm not allowed to leave this country at the moment. So, <laughs> Well, yep. we just jam-packed a ton of information into 45 minutes. And we still have a conversation with the team manager of FTJ Novella Aquitaine Free Touriscope. Lauren, do you have anything to add for this episode? I just want to say sorry we went over our 20 minutes to the We never, listening. we but can't. It's been, like, it's been like three months almost, it feels like. It's and true. And there's so much stuff to talk about. And we go off on our tangents and our rants, and that's just kind of how the podcast works. So I guess people who listen to us know what to expect. <laughs> At least we can only hope. I come back on the show. So... Um, no, I have nothing else to add at this moment. Just, um, yeah, really excited to be back talking about women's cycling with you, Abby. And, um, let's see how the season unfolds. Nerd Alert has become a weekly podcast. I wonder if we should be a weekly podcast too. I will submit my request to management. I would love that. (laughs) Then the ramblings will probably be a bit more spread out. We would actually be able to keep episodes to like a 30 minute episode. Yep. I mean, we, at least we would be able to, we could try, we could say, we're going to keep this episode to a 30 minute episode. We, we probably still wouldn't be able to do it. We always find stuff to talk about. We didn't even get to talk about team kits. Although I do think we should wait to talk about team kits. I have decided until we see them in action. Yes. Yep. Because they always change when you've actually seen them on the road. Who knows? Maybe the bike exchange kit is actually, you know, not, the worst thing that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> On that <It's> note. Just... <laughs> I'll just go with its subpar. Yeah, I mean, it's just I'm like excited. an amateur kit. I really wouldn't buy it myself. No. Uh, and that's all I'll say. You know what kit <laughs> I would buy? The only kit in the women's Peloton that I would actually spend my my hard-earned money on is the rock salt, rock salt <laughs> kit. Yeah, that kit is so cool. Dear Carly Taylor, if you're listening to this episode, can you please snag Lauren and I some of your team kit? Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Abby, we're Velocio ambassadors. I'm sure we can pull strings there somehow. Yeah. People are already asking for it. So, I mean, it's no surprise they did a great job with that kit. And people, if you haven't seen it, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is quite well aware of Rock Salt Live Shram. Yeah. Um, they have the best kit, hands down. Such a good Pel- kit. Yeah. Such a good kit. All right. Here is my chat with the team manager of FTJ Novella Aquitaine Futuroscope, Stefan. Stefan? Stefan? He's French. Stefan. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> so how long have you been with the team? Oh, it, it was uh, 14 years. Oh, wow. Yes. So oh, like yes. a really long time. Yes, really long time. The team created in 2006 and I arrived during the third season and I continue to develop the team. And now we are a world team with a big ambitious. Yeah, so you started as um, like a pretty small French development team and have built into a world tour team. And what, what kind of has been the process for that? We formed the best French riders during 10 years. And, and when you say, okay, we need a new project, 
we need to develop the team and find new partners to develop French riders with uh, foreign riders because uh, all the big riders of my teams go on the team because they say, okay, if I want to develop myself, I need to go big team and big foreign team. And we decided to take, um, to search uh, new partners and to develop the team step by step with the same values, with family spirit. And now we are in the good way, but it's not finished. Yeah, and, and you were one of the first women's teams to jump on the, to, to apply for a um, world tour license. So was it a pretty easy decision for you to make that step? Yes, it's a decision to say, okay, we are candidates. After it's <laughs> six months, very hard to search a budget, to develop all communication, staff, writers, materials, etc. to have a big project because on the road, uh, 2019 is not a big season for my team with a big crash for Emilia. And we decide to say, okay, it's time to candidate. We try and we work a lot for this. And during the, at the end of the year, we say, say, okay, all is okay for you. And now it's a new step. And for me, it's very important. All the riders are professional. They can live like a normal woman with salary, with insurance, to have project for buying apartments, etc. Mm -hmm. And we have a large contract and long contract for many riders. And I think it's just the beginning. So yeah, because you were one of the only teams to be signing people for multi years uh, during the pandemic last year. Yes, for me, it's very important because uh, after the first week of pandemic, you say, OK, we need to speak with all the partners and we are really look at him because all the partners say, OK, we are OK to continue, keep your job. Um, speak a lot with the staff and the riders. We are okay to continue. And imagine there is no season, we continue. It's easy for me when you have partner like this to say, okay, and I call all the riders and we decide to extend all the contract for two or three years. Mm -hmm. So what was it like on your side as the, as the manager navigating last year with the schedule changing and, and not knowing what was going on? Yes, it's very difficult for not only for me, but for the sport directors to manage all the logistics and to the staff in general to manage all the travel. It's always stop and go, stop, go, stop, go. And OK, now we are more confident because uh, we know the solution and we know the, all the PCA logistics in general. But it's OK, the most important and to secure the team and to say, okay, we can see together the future with a stability group of riders and staff. And for me, it's the most important. And is it the same kind of going into this year? Because already races are being mm. canceled and, and then there's a little bit of question mark. Normally we have a 100 race day. The Austrian races, Cantel, uh, and the two races in Valenciana, Postpanel. But okay, we we try to be optimistic and realist mm -hmm. because if they cancel all the March calendar, we are very disappointed, but we understand the situation and we have only the, the ways to work for the comeback and to start the season when it's possible, but it's impossible to decide. 
we are only cycling team and we adapt always. Um, having been in women's cycling for so long and seen so many years of change throughout the sport, do you think that the world tour, the new world tour system is good for the sport? Yes, I appreciate to work with UCI because they, they decide the new world team and new world tour calendar at the best period because for the first year we are eight now we are nine and i hope we are many teams want to go to world tour and maybe one day we have a continental pro system with etc with a new salary etc we are in the good way and women cycling is in a good way i think for 2021 it will be a very artisan with the pandemic but I want to be optimistic with the I hope the new Peruba and after the dream of every riders and every staff the Tour de France. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really big I mean, La Course is a big deal for you guys as a team because FDJ obviously also sponsors La Course. Yes, because we are a French team and Tour de France is special for for all the riders in the world, for all the fans of cycling in the world. But when you are French, it's very special. La Course is special because FDG is partner of the La Course. And now we know the project of the Tour de France and we focus to be the best for the first Tour de France. I, uh, I think it's the last La Course after the new Tour de France. And we are very motivated to win this race. Are there any downsides you see to the the world tour um, system that the UCI is creating where some of the smaller teams are struggling or anything? I know when you have a new si system, it's not good for all the team. For me, it's easy to say that because we candidate and now we're a world team and we're seeing a four years contract with FDG and for many sponsors with Lapierre, with Shimano, etc. It's easy to say that. I understand that it's difficult for many teams, but I want to to think about my riders. Riders need to have normal life. Women need that. They need to have normal salary, to have insurance, to have the possibility to have maternity during the career, to buy apartments like normal employees. And I prefer to focus on that. I say, okay, for many teams it's difficult, but the most important is the future of the women riders. Mm -hmm. in general yeah and and also uh, i mean stability and stuff which is something that you obviously having signed the girls last year for multiple years with the with the pandemic going on stability is something that's important to you yes we have 12 riders of last year continue with for this year we have only one ad with marta cavalli and i think now we have the site for that and we have the story I dream to have more riders. I wish to. I dream to have 15 of 16 riders and to race all the races in the world. But for that, I need to have a new budget every time. It's my job <laughs> for that. But for the moment, we have in the good way. I love my group. I love my group of riders. I love my staff. I want new staff always because I want more comfortable and more performance around my riders. Every day, when I start the day, I say, okay, I need to have another possibility to to improve my staff around my riders because my group of riders now is a dream group 
it's really really important when i spend time with the team like in training camp like today i'm really happy to see the smile of my raiders it's my power is that so what are your kind of goals for the team this year if if everything does happen as planned we win three times last year i want more because in cycling when you are manager you work for 99% of bad moments you work every time to to fight off every communication for rider for contract for sponsor etc and you have one percent very good moments this moment is 10 minutes after the win and every time i think at this moment for example the the win of evita music during the giro rosa and i remember every really good win yeah that i feel and for that i, I we need to win more okay there is a big team like trek and uh, as as they works and maybe movistar next season win a lot but we're ready to fight and win and win more the nationality that you have in your team i think can also be mirrored in the peloton the way that the peloton is becoming a lot more international with i mean you just named four teams from four different nationalities um, where the teams are registered do you see the sport expanding even more outside of europe with the new world tour system or with the growth of the, of women's cycling right now yes the best example is the men in general we follow the men but we are more fast the improvement of the story of the men it's normal because in general in life uh, the place of the woman in the company change and the place of the woman in the society change and it's normal that we open to the international and we are a french international team we are 50 percent uh, french and six nationality and we continue like that to to develop it's very good for the culture after we are we can't have more international riders and because we have a french market with fdg and we focus on that but uh, for the other partners we open and for the culture in general it's very good to the group for the atmosphere how much time do you actually get to spend at the races with everybody as the manager? Because the, the director sportif is on the ground all the time, but do you do you also get to be in the car when you have those magical wins like at the Giro? Yes, I hate go to the car, but uh, we need and sport directors need help because we're, I, I have only two sport directors. I want to start the, um, I hope this season during or next season. I hope, but I have uh, two very good sport directors, very, they work a lot. I think they work every day for the passion of women cycling. Um, but I want for the future to stop to go to the car. Okay, it's good when you win, but it's not my job. Uh, and uh, we need to improve on many things. Uh, and I think my place is not on the car. But it's okay for the moment and we continue like that. Thank you.